Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Good morning. Oh my gosh, you can do better than that. You are in church. Oh, look at this. Oh my gosh, he brings me a Celsius. This is ep- look at this. epic. It's like a commercial. <laughs> I'm sponsored by Celsius. Every salvation gets me $1,000. So, um, <laughs> hey, it is awesome to be able to be with you and be able to hang out with you a little bit today. And uh, uh, it is great to be here. How's everybody doing? Let's try that one more time. Come on now. Hello? There you are. You're in church. You're in the best place to be all week long. And what a joy it is to be here. Uh, And uh, I'm from Southern California. Don't hold that against me. And uh, when I got here, all the stuff, the white stuff was on the ground. And I was like, well, this is confusing. And, um, but it is awesome to be able to be with you. I love your pastors. Would you do me a favor and give them an enormous hand? Yeah. Love these guys. Uh, started coaching with them and helping them and just coming alongside them, but it's grown into friendship and partnership, and now we're rescuing churches together, so it's a joy. I got to hang out with them, have dinner last night. They bought, so that was good. It was Taco Bell, but you know. But hey, it is really awesome. Love them. So hey, it's awesome to be with you. A little bit about me. I am the founding pastor of Southfields Church. We have 12 sites. Uh, the original one is in Southern California. A lot of them are in Southern California. We have a few throughout the United States. Uh, I am the founder of Church Boom, and we rescue churches, churches that are dying, uh, 20, 30, 40 people. We were just talking about a church that's closing right here close by. Uh, and we are doing everything we can to rescue churches in America, because I believe this. If we, if we lose America churches, we lose America. And uh, we always used to say that, man, America is not the same place it was 20 years ago. It's not the same place it was 20 months ago. And we are fighting to keep churches open, the lighthouses open. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that uh, at the end. I'm going to minister to you first. Uh, I have been married to a beautiful Mexican woman. Oh no, she's hot. And um, I call her my little hot tamale. And, uh, and we've been married for 32 years. Yeah, we actually started dating when we were 12 years old. Can you believe that? So be careful, parents out there. If you see a 12-year-old, check out his credit record. Um, and then uh, uh, we have two amazing children, and and we have two granddaughters, a three and a one-year-old. How many grandparents we have here? Is it not the best thing on the planet? So much better than parenting. It is God's gift to you for you not killing your own kid. That's really what it is. I was holding my granddaughter recently and my adult son says to me, Dad, it's like you love her more. I said, no, it's not like I do. I do. You had a good run. It's over for you. Hey, uh, we're going to go. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, next time at a hotel, get one. They're free. I have hundreds of them. I sell them on eBay. It's an outreach I do. Um, But hey, so a while back I was, we'll go to that in just a moment, but a while back I was uh, late for an appointment and I hate being late. I like being on time. And I was going to a speaking appointment, a speaking engagement, and I was late. And so I was flying down the freeway and uh, doing a nice, good Christian 95 and I was moving. 
and I'm going down the freeway. And by the way, how many of you have ever been flying down the freeway or you run a yellow light? Come on now. And you say a quick prayer. Isn't that funny? Lord, as I break the law, may you be with me. So I'm doing 95 miles an hour, or probably not that, but I'm, I'm definitely speeding. And I'm going way too fast, and I'm like, man, I got to get there. I'm, I'm going, I'm flying. And, uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, I look up in the mirror, and there's the red and blue lights. And I'm like, oh, man, now I'm going to be late. It's going to cost me money. So I thought about it for a second, and I punched it. No, I'm telling, I, um... So I'm flying down the freeway, you know, and then I see the lights that go up and I pull over, you know, and it pulls me over. I'm like, oh man, be late. It's going to cost me money, all this other stuff. And so I'm sitting there at the, uh, uh, and he comes, gets out of the car and I look in the mirror and he starts walking towards me. I look over and I see my Bible sitting there. Now I know you're all going to judge me and I know whatever, but I just want to be honest with you. And by the way, don't you love it when a pastor says, can I be honest with you? Because I'm always thinking, what have you been doing up to this point? But, um... I take my Bible that's sitting right there as he's walking up, and I know this is bad, and I put it on the dashboard. How bad is that? Because I'm thinking, maybe he's one of us. So, you know, I had to make it look like a social media devotion, so I put a candle and a cup of tea next to it on the dashboard. <laughs> Can't have a devotion without that. And, uh, and so there I am, you know, and he comes walking up, and he's like, license and registration, please. So I get my license and registration, like, yuck, yuck, you know. And the whole time, Pastor, while he's talking to me, his eyes are going like this. And he's looking over at the Bible while he's talking to me the whole time. And I'm like, I got him. <laughs> he says, oh, hold on a second. He goes, I'll be back in a second. He goes back to his car, starts writing me a ticket. And I'm thinking, dude, what happened, you know? He comes back up, here's the license registration back, you know, blah, 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 sign here, do this, do that. And, uh, and he keeps looking at my Bible. And he goes, all right, well, drive safely and have a nice day. He starts walking away, leans his head back in the window, points over at my Bible and says, oh, by the way, read Romans 13, 1. <laughs> now, I, you know, I know a lot of the Bible. I don't have every verse memorized. He takes off, I open it up, obey the laws of the land. Can you believe that? My luck, I had to get a Christian cop. <laughs> that was a mistake. What he was really telling me was, hey buddy, you might wanna follow all the Bible, not just part of the Bible. You might wanna follow all of it. And it's interesting how easy it is to follow one part and not another part, isn't it? How, no, how, how easy is it when we, we say, man, God, don't we love God's forgiveness? But man, we don't like it so much when he wants us to forgive someone that hurt us. We like one part, but we don't like the other. But you know what else is interesting about the Bible? Is that there are, there are 3,000 promises in the Bible, and they're so easy to believe for other people than they are to believe for ourselves. It's like, man, you can trust God. He'll come through for you. He's never left you. He'll never abandon you. You can trust him with your finances. You can, but then when it comes to us, it's a lot harder to believe the promises for us than it is for other people. As a matter of fact, that's as old as the Old Testament. Go back about 3,000 years ago, there's a story of David and Goliath. Many of you have heard the story, even if you're new to church. Uh, if you're new to church and you're here for the first time, by the way, you found a great church. You don't need to look anymore. That was a good time for you rest of you people to cheer. I mean, I could not have set that up any better. You know, you got a good looking pastor and wife, Ken and Barbie, a harvest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so 
David and Goliath, it was a great story. You've probably heard it before, whatever. But let me just give you a little bit of a rundown of how it went down. It, it, uh, there's this battle going on in a valley. I've actually been there in Israel. And it's a valley that where there's a battle. On one side is Goliath. He's nine foot six inches tall. He's got the big old Philistine army. They're the bad guys. Say bad guys with me. On this side, you got the army of Israel. They're over here, and they are the good guys. Say good guys. Okay, they are afraid of Goliath. They don't want to come down into the valley and fight. They want to ignore him. They want to sit up there on the hill. They are scared of Goliath. Every day he would come out, and he would taunt them and make fun of God and make fun of them. And now, up the hill, a little bit of ways, there's this uh, a guy named Samuel's got all these sons, and he brings them together. He's like, hey, man, you guys need to go over and fight and help out. And everybody's like, yeah, let's go do it. The youngest son says, I'll go with him. Now, we know he was pretty young. He wasn't 20 years old yet because he hadn't taken the consensus. So he was probably 17, 18 years old. He's like, I'll go with my brothers, Dad. And then he's like, nope, you got to stay here. And uh, I'm sorry, it's Jesse. You got to stay here. And he says, uh, um, the dad, and he says, man, you got to go. You got to stay here. And the rest of the brothers are going to go fight. And so now David has got to stay and guard the sheep. And he's got to guard the goats and all that while the brothers go and fight. A little bit of time goes by, dad comes out and says, hey, David, you know, maybe a week, a month, whatever it comes by, he says, your brothers are probably hungry, take them this basket of food. Now, I want you to imagine how demeaning it is. You're not able to go and fight with the brothers because you're not big and strong enough. You got to guard the sheep, and now you got to deliver a basket like Little Red Riding Hood over to the, to the brothers. He arrives at the scene. He sees his brothers not fighting. He sees the army not fighting. And he sees that they're all afraid. David's got the basket. He's there to serve. But he sees that everybody's afraid. And there really isn't a battle going on. Let's look at it now and pick it up at verse 24. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. David asked his soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Let's put him at 17 years old. 17-year-old David shows up with a basket. He's going to deliver some food, and uh, no one's fighting. And they're all like, man, we're afraid. And David's like, how can you guys be afraid? This guy's mocking God. Who should he be to get away with this? Here's what I think is real interesting. If you're taking notes or you take pictures of screens or whatever you do, is this, is that what others chose to accept, David chose to reject. Okay, say that out loud with me. What others chose to... David chose to reject. Now, here's the deal. They're over there sitting there. Follow me on this. They're sitting there on the hill. They won't go and fight. Now, we learn that because they won't go and fight, they, what they're really saying is because Goliath came out and said, look, whoever does it, if you guys can take me, then take me. But if we can take you, then you are going to be our slave. So here's what they're saying. David, 17-year-old David, we're just going to sit here and we are signing up to be that man's slave because we are so afraid. David comes along and rejects the idea. He says, why are you guys settling for so much less in your life? Why are you settling for this is the way it's going to be? And I look at this scripture and I wonder how many times you and I do the same thing. We, we, we accept so much less in our life than God ever intended. 
We, we, we accept that, hey, this is the best my marriage will get. This is the best my finances will get. This is the best my career will get. This is the best my spiritual walk will get. And, and yet here comes David along saying, I'm not accepting these limits because I believe in a God who wants more for my life. And I got to believe that that's the same thing in here. See, I believe in here, in this room, there are books that have not yet been written. We talked about this yesterday with all the pastors. I believe there's books not yet been written. I believe that there's songs that have not been composed. And I believe there's businesses that have not yet been started that could finance this church and the kingdom. And we don't do it. Why don't we do it? Because we accept so much less in our life because of our fear, because of our doubt. And really one of the biggest ones is because of other people's opinions. Isn't that the truth? We're afraid. Isn't it amazing how we listen to broke people? Isn't it funny? This guy's broke and he wants to pull you down. I always say this. People will always pull you down to a level that's comfortable for themselves. Because your desire for excellence will threaten their mediocrity. And we do that. And David's coming along going, why are you guys settling? Why is it that you want less? That's not what I created you for. I created you for more. David is coming along going, God's created you for more. He's created you for, and, but David believed that in his heart. And we have to believe, man, God, I don't want to accept what maybe my family has accepted as normal. I don't want to accept what was normal for me growing up. God, I believe with all my heart. I want to reject that because I believe in you that wants more for my life. I do a lot of flying, about 150 to 180 flights a year. I fly in a lot. And how many have ever flown into like a major airport? And how many have ever heard something called the Admiral Lounge? Anybody know what that is? The Admiral Lounge is a really fancy place inside of a big airport like Dallas Airport or whatever. And it's a place where people that travel a lot can go to. So it's inside there. And if you ever, next time you're in the airport, you see Admiral Lounge, you'll see these private doors, okay? And about six, seven years ago, I had no idea what it was. And if you've never been in the Admiral Lounge, it's amazing. When you go to the Dallas airport, it's all crowded. You know how it's crowded at the airport and all the kids are running around and McDonald's and French fries are flying everywhere, you know, people are coughing and it's like a Petri dish. And, um... But then there's these doors that go into the Admiral Lounge. And I got to tell you, in the Admiral Lounge, there are restaurants, places to sleep. There are masseuses. There is a place where you can take a shower. It is an amazing, there's a guacamole bar. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Okay, now back up. I've been flying for years and years and years. About four, five, six years ago, uh, I'm at the Dallas airport. I'm on a delay, okay? And uh, I see a friend of mine. It's like a two-hour delay. I see a friend of mine. We give each other a hug. Dude, I haven't seen you in forever. I'm, I'm on a delay. He goes, I'm on a delay, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, let's go. Now listen to what he says to me. Keep in mind, I've been traveling 150 flights for the last 15 years, every year. And he says to me, let's go in the Admiral Lounge. And I look at him and I'm like, we can't go in the Admiral Lounge. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, that's for pilots. Because doesn't it sound piloty? <laughs> Admiral Lounge? It doesn't sound like I'm supposed to be there. He starts cracking up. He's like, what? what are you talking about? He goes, it's for people that travel a lot. And I'm like, what? And he cannot believe that I don't know about this. I've been traveling for years. And I had no, I walked by the Admiral Lounge the entire time. I thought it was for pilots. Door opens up. I come in. And all of a sudden, you could hear the angels. Oh, it was amazing. 
angels were singing, you know, the little pavement was gold. It was incredible. Guacamole bar, everything I told you about. And I'm like, this is unreal. He walks up to the counter and he says, my name is whatever. And he goes, okay. And he goes, this is my guest, Chris Songson. And she goes, okay, how do you spell your name? Blah, blah, blah. And she goes, no joke. She goes, oh, Mr. Songson, you've been a member for seven years. <laughs> Seven years? I've been a member for seven, for seven years. I've been a, I could have been in here and I've been out here the whole time. For seven years, you're telling me that I'm over here hanging out at the top of the Titanic with Leonardo? When I could have been hanging out with a lady, lady with a necklace? Is that what you're telling me? Okay, here's what she was saying. For seven years, sir, you've been a member. She goes, but for seven years, you never activated your membership. Have you ever thought for a moment that maybe for the last six, seven, eight years, God is saying, anytime you want to step into what I have for you, come on in. Many of you in here, you've been a member for six, seven years. You just not stepped in yet to all that God has for your life. That's what David was saying. Why are you guys sitting here? Step into all that God has for your life. Let's go back to the story. Okay, here's the story. So David shows up on the scene. They're all afraid. David says, what are you afraid of? Come on, this guy's mocking God. We got to do something about it. King Saul overhears it, the king of the army of Israel. He overhears it and calls David over. Now David, 17-year-old, is having an audience with the king of Israel. And here's how the conversation goes. I love this conversation. 17-year-old David with the king of Israel, Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told him. He says, I'll go fight him. Now, the king is probably thinking, you little snot-nosed kid. You're 17 years old. You don't know nothing. Look what he says. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replies. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since youth. Go to the next verse. But look what it says. But David, I love this, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep. Can you imagine? He tells the king. The king's like, you don't even know how to fight. Oh, don't worry. I take care of sheep. You, I, let me put your mind at ease. I'm the sheep guy. He says, I've been taking care of the sheep and goat. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from the mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both the lion and the bear, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the army of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the, the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Here's what David is saying. Put it on the screen for me. David knew that the battle belonged to the Lord, but the fight belonged to him. What did David say? I fought the lion. I fought the bear. I tore them apart, but the, and the Lord rescued me. Which one is it? It's both. The battle belongs to the Lord, but the fight belongs to me and you. And I don't know what you're going through here today. I don't know what your challenge you're facing. I don't know what you come in here today with, something in your marriage, in your personal life, or whatever it is. But understand something. The battle belongs to the Lord. He loves you no matter who you are or what you've done, and he is fighting for you. But the fight belongs to you and I. The battle belongs to him. The fight belongs to us, meaning we have to do something. We can't stand on the sideline. What does that mean? If your marriage isn't going right, get into counseling. That's your fight. If your finances are a mess, get some guidance. That's your fight. The battle belongs to the Lord, but the fight belongs to you. And you got to jump in there and do that. 
A few years back, some of our staff got together, about five, six of us, and we said, man, in Southern California, at Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California, we, were gonna, we signed up to do the triathlon. The triathlon, it was a sprint triathlon, so it was 25 miles riding your bike, one mile swimming, five miles running, or something like that. I'd never done a triathlon in my entire life. It was an absolute nightmare. I will never do it again. It was four years ago, and I just finished up last night. It was a nightmare. We get out there, and I, I do a little bit of surfing, and so I'm, there, I'm standing there at the shore, and it's like 7 in the morning, and we're supposed to swim a half mile out and a half mile back. There's a little buoy out there, okay? Our little heat's about to go, 50 of us or whatever. And I look out there, and the waves are massive. And I live at the beach, so I see it all the time. They were huge that day, and I'm thinking, of all days, Jesus, why do they have to be big today? And they were, they were big out, ba- out far. So if they're up close, they crush you, but you go down eight feet and you can spring back up. When they're out this far, you go down 20 feet and you're still not going to hit the bottom, which is very difficult to do because you can't spring back up. And when you come up, you get hit again. Anyway, I'm standing there and I'm like, all right, here we go, you know, and they're all 60 seconds, you know, and so I'm standing there and we're ready to go. And I'm standing next to a guy. I don't know who he is. He looks at me and goes, hey, man. You ever done this before? We're standing on the shore, ready to go. I go, no, I've never done this before in my life. I go, how about you? And this is what he says to me. He goes, oh yeah, this is my third one this year. He goes, but I've never seen waves like this. I'm like, well, that's encouraging. (laughs) So all gun goes off and we start swimming. Boom, get hit by the waves. You got to go under, you got to go under, you got to go under. Then we finally get out there. We start coming back and the jet skis are pulling people in like crazy. Even the guy next to me, Mr. Triathlon, they pulled him in. And I'm right in the middle of the set of waves and I'm having a hard time breathing. I just got crushed. I went down 15 feet. I came back up I'm, and I'm choking on water. There are no jet skis. The last one is taking this one guy that was next to me. And I'm yelling out to him, God needs me, not him. And um, <laughs> bring the jet ski back. I, um, I mean, I, honest to God, was pretty afraid because I'm like, there's no jet skis out here. There's no one to rescue me. And I'm out here a half mile in the ocean. At that point, probably a quarter mile. And I'm like, and I'm having a hard time. And I am praying and paddling the entire time. And I'm like, God, please help me. I'm literally praying and paddling, praying and paddling. Never at one moment did I say, you know what? I'm praying, so I don't need to paddle anymore. (laughs) Lord be with me. I did never. (laughs) That would be dumb. I prayed and I did what? Paddled. I didn't stop on either one of them. That's what David did. David said the battle belongs to the Lord. That's the praying part, but the fight belongs to me. I got to do my part. What's interesting is, a couple side notes won't come up on the screen, but a little, little, little kind of insights. Goliath, two thoughts. Number one, Goliath wasn't David's greatest battle. Goliath was David's greatest blessing. You see, because understand something. Behind that Goliath, whoever won, they would get, ready? They would get the daughter of the king as a wife. They would get $750 million in modern times cash. They would get tax-free living for the rest of their life. That alone would have inspired me. All of that. All, whoever defeats him. So David, when you look at it and think, man, Goliath was David's greatest battle. No, it wasn't. It was David's greatest blessing. I don't know what Goliath you're facing, but when you get the strength to knock it down, there's a blessing behind it, I promise. When you knock down whatever battle you're facing, here's a second thought. 
We always sing that God sent David to kill Goliath. There's even little uh, uh, children's songs from years ago. God sent David to kill Goliath. Have you ever thought about this, that maybe God didn't send David to kill Goliath, but that God sent Goliath to reveal David? It revealed him. It revealed who he really was. It revealed who he, the kind of character he had. It revealed the kind of strength he had. It revealed and set him up to now become the second king of Israel. It revealed who he really was. God sent Goliath, I believe. Part of it was that God sent Goliath to reveal who David really was. Let's go back to the story. Remember, the king goes, how are you going to fight? And David, David, remember David's response? Don't worry, I take care of sheep. And... Um, and he's like, all right, okay. So finally the king goes, if you want to fight, go for it. Throws a bunch of armor on him. David says, this stuff doesn't fit me. And he says, man, he goes, I'll just, I'll just use my slingshot. He grabs five stones out of the river, puts them inside of his bag. We'll come back to that in a minute. Puts them inside of his bag. It's not a normal slingshot. It's kind of a little different, but we'll just go with a normal slingshot. And he runs out there to face Goliath. And here's how the story goes. Check it out. David replied to the Philistine, Goliath. Now David's standing there, 17 years old with a slingshot and five rocks. And this guy is a monster of a man and a sword. David replies to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. Look at this. Today the Lord will conquer you. Look at David's confidence. Today the Lord will uh, conquer you, and I will kill you. I will cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. This is the first episode of The Walking Dead. If you want to know where they got it from, it happened here. Um, And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues people, but not with the sword and spear. Ah, look at this. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. Oh, battle belongs to the Lord. Fight belongs to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, took out one of those five stones, one of those rocks, hurls it with his sling, hits the Philistine in the forehead. The stones sink in. The Goliath stumbles and fell face down to the ground and ultimately dies. This is an amazing story. And here's the thing that, the last thing I want to give you, and then I want to turn the corner and talk to you about rescuing churches and see how this all fits together. When others stood on the sideline, David stood on the front line. When everybody else stood on the sideline, David stood on the front line. Everybody else is standing there, they're sitting on the sideline going, I'm not going out there, I'm not going to fight. Yeah, and because you don't do that, you're not going to get the reward. You're not going to get, all you're going to get is a limited life to all that God has for you because you're not willing to get in the game. That's basically what David said. David said, give me the five rocks and, and, the, and the slingshot. He walks out there and he fights Goliath and he wins because he got on the front line. I don't know what the front line means for you, but whatever it means for you, get on it. That may mean, man, I'm not on the front line at Harvest Ridge Church. I'm not. I'm not serving. Start serving. I'm not in a group. Get in a group. I'm not tithing. Start tithing. I'm telling you the reward is on the front line. God never lies. He will come through. Just get on that front line and fight to be involved here, to be plugged in, to be part of this for your own life or whatever's happening in your personal life. Get on the front line. Do not stand on the side line. There's two things that were unique about David. One was the basket. Remember, he came down, his dad gave him a basket and he came over to deliver the food. He was going to serve his brothers and give them food. That's how this whole thing started. And then there was the bag. The basket 
represented serving, and the bag represented fighting. You ever thought about this? David didn't come down the mountain to fight. David came down the mountain to serve. You ever thought about that? It all started with serving. It was the serving. It was the basket that got him to Goliath. It was the basket that got him to the king. It was the basket that got him to the battlefield. And it was the basket that got him all those rewards. He didn't come down the mountain to fight. He came down the mountain to serve. That's where it all started. What an amazing thing. What a great lesson for us. Everything starts with God. Here I am. Here's my life. Take me, God. My finances, my life, my future. God, I serve you. I serve this church. I serve people. And then all of a sudden, God says, now watch the blessing. The blessing didn't come from the fight. It came and started with the serving. Not the bag, the basket. And that's what starts for us. So I don't know what you're going through, what you're facing, what's happening in your life. I just know this. There's a God in heaven who's crazy in love with you. Your picture is on his refrigerator. He loves you. If you're new to church, you're kind of falling away from God, or I don't know, you're not really where you should be with God, you're here for the free donuts, whatever. There's a God who loves you. So God has got a plan for your life. You go after God. You get plugged into this church. You go after God for all that, everything that you have, and watch what he does. That's what set David apart from everybody else. They stood on the sideline, he got on the front line. They said no, he said yes. They stood back, he went forward. Go forward. There's a battle probably that we're all facing. We all got battles we're facing. Everybody here's got a battle they're facing. But there's a battle that we're facing in America in the church world. And that is what I talked about earlier and Pastor mentioned earlier is how many churches are closing and dying. And we have this thing called Church Boom, and we created something called Church Rescue to help rescue churches. Show with me that first slide, if we could, real quick. Look at this. If you go home and Google tonight, Google America Churches Closing, here's what you're going to find. Look what the Milwaukee Independent says. The, this is headlines of newspapers, online papers. The American church is dying. Look at the top left, the hill. Church going and belief in God stands at a historic low. Top right, Fox News, America Church is closing faster than new ones can open. Top, bottom left, ABC, churches closing their doors in record numbers. The Washington Post, church membership has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. Folks, I don't know about you, but you, you should not read that and just think, oh, let's just move on. That is a big deal because that is happening on our watch. If you dig deeper into this, here's what you'll find. America is closing 100 to 200 churches per week in America. Close. Did you catch that? Per week. 84% of churches are in decline right now. 76% of all pastors feel inadequate and feel alone. We, for 10 straight years, America has closed more churches than it has opened and we are losing ground. And man, look at this one, just real quick. Next one, if we could. Look at it, in the year 2000, the average church in America is 137 people, now it's down to 65 people in 2020, and it is continuing to drop. Folks, we can't look at that and not do something. We gotta do something, because I know this much, the darker churches get, the darker America gets. We gotta do something, man. We got to keep the little churches open, not just around here. I mean, this is a church. It's an amazing church. You've got an amazing pastor, but this is not normal. I'm talking about the church in Nebraska and South Carolina because we don't just care about the church. We care about the church. 
as a whole, we got to do something. So you know what I did? I looked at those stats a couple of years ago and I got together with about 15 pastors of very large churches in, in Dallas, Texas. And I said, Hey man, we got to do something, man. The, the, the America's churches are dying. We're closing. That's happening on our watch. We got to do something. Revelation always requires responsibility. You got to do something. And so we got together and we were like, man, what could we do? And uh, uh, man, what a, I go, we got to start rescuing churches. And I remember saying, man, what if we create something like, you know, kind of like bar rescue? And then I said, you guys ever heard of that? And all the pastors are, oh, no, no, never, never bar rescue. <laughs> I was too busy praying and fasting. I'm like, you liars. And uh, um, <laughs> you're the bar rescue. And I said, what if we did a thing called church rescue where we came and we spent a year coaching pastors for a whole year for free? And then what if we gave them some emergency funding and some resources? And then what if we took them away for four days on a retreat and we just paid for everything? And everybody in the room's like, this is awesome. How are we going to pay for it? And I said, I got no idea, but isn't it a great idea? <laughs> this is amazing. So two and a half years ago, we started that. And we're just like, man, let's just believe God. And we'll just figure, hey, we'll partner with healthy churches and healthy pastor friends of ours to help the unhealthy. Because that seems like what God would want us to do. This is the bride of Christ after all. And if it's bleeding, we do something about it. We don't stand on the sideline. These people are becoming great friends of mine. If his beautiful bride gets in an accident and I got the right type of blood, I'm flying here as quick as possible because that's just what we do. The bride of Christ is in the emergency and it's bleeding out and we do whatever we need to do to make it win again. We cannot lose the bride of Christ in America. We're heading in the wrong way. And so we did something about it. We started coaching church. And in the last two and a half years, just in 2023, which just finished up, we coached and rescued over 500 churches that would have closed their doors. A guy named Mike yesterday that was here at the event pastor was mentioning, he comes up to me. I never met him before. He goes, hey, I'm in one of those coaching groups. I'm like, oh, it's great. I'm glad. He goes, when I joined, we had 15 people in our church and we were about to close the door. And he goes, last week we had 75 and that continues to happen. Look at this guy right here. The first one, Alex in San Antonio, Texas. He calls us up. Man, he's one of the first guys to come in. He's running about 30 people. He says, man, our church is going to close. We don't know what we're going to do. And the church started growing. Now it's running about 150 to 175 people. That's not a church that's dying. That's a church that's been rescued. Come on. Isn't that great? Praise God. Look at this one right here. This is my friend Joel. His church is dying, about 30, 40 people. And uh, uh, he's like, man, we need help. We're going to have a video about him in just a moment. We need help. What are we going to do? I was there a few weeks ago doing a rescue Sunday like this, helping to raise money to rescue churches because that church of 40 people, the week I was there, which was in early December, had 405 people in the church. That's a rescued church. Here's another one right here. Here's my friend Charles. He's only been around for about six months. He calls us up like, I don't know what to do. I got about 30 people left in my church. I, and that was only six months ago. We have worked with him, worked with him, worked with him. And uh, for the month of December, he was averaging 125 people. He was about to close his doors. Not anymore. Leave that picture there if you could for a moment. And I want to show you a picture of a guy that... that uh, um, what happened in his church in Evansville, Indiana. First guy to ever join Church Rescue. I'll never forget it because I'm the one that took the call. He, he put in online to talk to someone. I said, I'll call him. I called him up. I go, what's your name, Brian? I said, I go, what's going on, Brian? He goes, I got 20 people left in my church. And he, pastor, just started bawling on the phone. I had to stop for 90 seconds because he couldn't even catch his breath. He said, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing. We're giving it back to the bank. I said, hang on. How much money do you need to keep, 
mortgage up to date. Eight grand, good, okay, we'll take care of that. Now what? Let's get you into some coaching. We started getting into some coaching. He started working, he started developing. This is a picture of his church on Easter seven or eight months ago. From 20 people to that. Their church is running well over 400 people now. These are rescued churches. And we believe that rescued churches rescue people and rescued churches will rescue America. I'm gonna show you a video in a second. I wanna first of all thank your pastor and thank all of you for being a part of Kingdom Builders. We're gonna rescue, this church right here is gonna rescue some churches. And we're gonna make a difference and we're gonna make a dent in the kingdom. But I wanna say thank you to you. I I got a free book I wanna give you today. It's brand new. It is literally, you're the first church to ever have a chance at it. I want you to grab your phone. Okay, go ahead and grab your phone. That's the thing that you've been acting like you've taken notes on but you've been texting, that one. (laughs) Go ahead, get your phone out. Now here's all you got to do is give your name and email. We wrote a book from 11 different pastors that we rescued called Reviving uh, Church in America. It's 11 stories from rescued pastors. It's emotional. It's amazing. It's like chicken soup for the soul, but for rescuing churches. It's stories from pastors. They wrote these stories. Put the QR code up there for me if you could. Just hit that QR code. All you got to do is give your name, I think your email, and then you're done. It'll automatically come up to you today. And this literally, you are the first people to read this book. Literally, the first. And uh, this book is just a way to say, Thank you. Thank you for giving to Kingdom Builders. Thank you for being a part of, of what's happening here in the kingdom. I appreciate it so much. So make sure you get that free book. And let me say once again how grateful I am to your pastor and his beautiful wife, how grateful I am to all of you for everything you've done for the kingdom. Thanks for being a part of helping rescue churches. This is a story of Joel Wood. He's from Roswell, New Mexico. This is proof that rescued churches rescue lives. And I believe. Rescue churches will rescue America. Check out this video. The story of this church and the way that it began is uh, is one that was built off of failure. Uh, there was a church split and our church began. Uh, about 20 years later, the pastor of the church ended up in moral failure. Really, they ended up... Uh, uh, weathering some pretty tough years. And uh, at the end of that, uh, they'd grown back to about 60 or 70 uh, on a good weekend. And, and that was about the time that we came. Pastoring uh, before church when we came into our life was uh, was scary. Uh, it was uh, very difficult. We had never been in this position before. And uh, as we came here, man, I, I wasn't really sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to make the dreams in my heart actually come to life uh, with what God had told us. As a pastor's wife, you do your best to support your husband. What was difficult was honestly to see him frustrated because he had vision, but he didn't have direction. He didn't know what questions he should be asking. I was an addict for years. I was at home and I was drinking all the family was gone doing something. I just sitting in my chair drinking whiskey by myself and we got a call that uh, my wife's mom got hit by a drunk driver. Um, woke up in the morning and that, that whiskey was still there, dumped it out. Um, and uh, get rid of it all, uh, started, started going to church. 
growing up, I just had more of that religious background rather than the relationship with Christ. So then as time went on, I just kept thinking to myself like, man, there has to be more to God than just this. Like, we can't live up to this. I got really sad and angry and um, bitter. And instead of like realizing what it was, I started taking it out on my husband. As time progressed, I started having an emotional affair with this man. And after I had a physical affair with him, I remember going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Who is this? I have never felt the Holy Spirit in my entire life. And whenever I worshiped for the first time at Waymaker, he just overtook me. sense of almost being rescued when Church Boom came because I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what I should be looking for. And even in my coaching calls, I would tell Chris, I, I don't even know what I should be asking you right now. Would you help me? And I realized it wasn't until somebody with understanding came to help unlock the potential uh, through the coaching. That's really what, what set us on that course. to place a value on what we've received uh, through Church Boom, through the team at Church Boom, Pastor Chris himself. I'm also thankful that when they came in, the tools that uh, Church Boom brought, it wasn't to get us to become something other than ourselves. And there's so many amazing resources that, uh, that we're able to utilize. When I think of this church, I think of, I think of happiness. I think of a, a place where I'm safe, where my family's safe. Whenever I come to church now, I just feel so alive. Like, I look forward to it. I can't get enough of church. I need this place, and I couldn't do my life without Jesus and the people that are in this place. Why in the world a church? Why a church? Here's why. Um, what you do to me is you come alongside me and listen to what I think and what I feel and give me some direction, ideas, some things to go to and places to get a little better. Tell me I can do it. Why church? You need a place in your life where somebody comes alongside you, listens to your dreams, listens to you as a real person, talks to you, interacts with you, and says, you know what, there's a better way. How about we look at God's word? How about we do it God's way? What's going on is this. We're rescuing churches through the gift we gave, but we're also rescuing people because we're it's the same thing no matter where you go. My coach is rescuing me because every time we feel stuck, there's somebody that knows how to help you get unstuck. The question is, are you going to listen or aren't you? Are you, you know, the key 
to that guy moving ahead and accomplishing beating his Goliath. The key was what? You said it. I heard you say it. He asked for help. Do you know your problem? You're not asking for help. You're a self-made man. Well, you made a mess. <laughs> I want to ask you a question today. Would you ask for help? Uh, maybe you need financial help. We have Financial Peace University. Maybe you need relational help. We've got marriage mentoring. Maybe you need, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, maybe you need overcome addiction. Well, we have an overcoming addiction. I don't care what it is. Somebody in this church knows how to help you overcome whatever Goliath you're facing. And I want to welcome you. And I want to say, we not only do this for churches out there, and we are going to give the money. We're going to keep giving the money. We're going to keep doing that. We're also doing that for you in here. Will you accept the help? One of my favorite songs by a band named Alter Bridge. Reach out a hand for somebody to help me from below. Just reach out a hand. Somebody's here to help you today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And ask you a very, very simple question. Do you need to reach up your hand and get out of the pit you're in? Come on, it's time to quit being so proud and ask for help. That's you. Just lift up your hand right now. Come on, just reach up your hand. You're reaching up to God. You're reaching up to me. You're reaching up to the person next to you. You're reaching up to your own will to go to fight this battle. It's a hand reach up. Yeah, I need some help. I need out of this. Father God, right now, each hand that's raised in the name of Jesus Christ. God, would you reach down and grab a hold of that hand and lift them out of the pit? And in the name of Jesus Christ, there would be life, there would be freedom. We would work and walk together and we would see the victory that you have for us. We would live the life you have for us in the name of Jesus Christ. Bring us life. We surrender and submit to you. Give us help, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now, Chris, thank you so very, very, very much for this message. Encouraging. Uh, the battle is God's. The fight's whose? Who's the fight belong to? It's yours. The fight's yours. One of the, one, so he's a better preacher than I am. He's done early enough. So we're going to lock the back doors for two minutes. Back doors are locked. Our ushers are going to stand in front of it. We're going to tackle you if you try to get out in three minutes. And you're going to take three minutes. Everybody stand up for three minutes. I want you to turn somebody next to you. Talk to them. Smile at them. Get to know them. Take three minutes. Get to know somebody before you leave today. Even if you're an introvert, it'll be the best thing you can do. Give somebody a smile.